Hello there. I'm Dylan Johnson, and you're listening to The Box Office Show. Our last episode on Avatar Book 2 Earth ended up being over three hours long, so we decided to split it into two parts. We last left off on Episode 7 of Season 2, Zuko Alone. Once again, we would like to thank Nick Lyon for joining us in Part 1 of this episode, and we hope you enjoy Part 2, beginning with Episode 8 of Season 2, The Chase. episode eight the chase this is one that i was really fond of for obvious reasons i mean getting to see everyone come together at the end there was beautiful but the pacing throughout this episode Mm -hmm. and the way that we get more insight into the characters how this team is trying to function now the four of them was really fascinating we get to see a katara that is far from her normal compassionate self Mm -hmm. She wants Toph to sort of pull her weight and help, un, you know, take off all the gear from Appa and set up the tents. But Toph is able to do that on her own since all she needs is just a rock tent. So she's completely fine. She's saying, I'm pulling my own weight. And that's sort of reflective of how she's wanting to be very independent. She's been coddled so much for life and been perceived as helpless so this is a way that she's able to take a stand and be like look i can just take care of myself Mm -hmm. um but katara wants to have her helping the other people so that causes some strife between them uh we also see toff like the way that she's able to overcome that piece of her her conflict in this episode is by meeting with iroh just running in with him Mm -hmm. Uh, and we get to see not only Iroh's uh, understanding of the relationship with Zuko and where he's at, where he says Zuko's lost right now, and I just need to let him figure some things out mm-hmm. on his own, but when he needs me, I'll be there. So that's beautiful to see. He's been tracking Zuko and keeping an eye on him, but he's also able to help Toph know, like a very beautiful line, that um, sometimes people do things for you because they love you and they just want to help you like it's not a whole thing about oh you can't do this or i need to call to you or i have to take care of you sometimes people just do it out of the kindness of their hearts because they do care about you and they want to make sure you're okay and so that was a beautiful lesson that came through there for sure absolutely one of i think the highlights of it i love the dialogue that they have i love that this episode is it has a very basic premise basically you have your character's some of them are already fighting at the very beginning initial episode. You already have like an initial conflict and then you add in an external force that pushes them as a group to their wits end, which is this train bus thing that is chasing them. That is nonstop because it is a machine and they are uh, forced to run and hide and they're not able to sleep and that pushes them, pushes them, pushes them to like a conflict within themselves. And so they become more and more bickering. Even Aang, who is the most peaceful person in the gang he's the most uh light on his toes sort of flow with the go the flow kind of person even he gets to a breaking point and he gets upset and starts lashing out as well 
I would also say that it is set up a lot like a season one episode would be, where you have you have your characters, they have a, a basic primary conflict, and then you have the external conflict, and it's just like a very simple setup for them to do, and it could have been a very simple episode. And then they capitalize on top of that with like a season two kind of sprinkling of like a seasoning with that sort of climax scene where they're all in the desert, and you have all these characters all coming together in this one big showdown that's happening. And it's like, this is not something that they would do in season one. This is not something that would happen. This is like a season two, every episode is important. Every episode, something crazy happens kind of thing that happens where they just take this basic kind of episode where Azula and Aang are at conflict and they escalate it by adding in Zuko and Iroh who haven't seen each other in a long time. Iroh's not friends with Toph. Like all these characters just in like a combatant stance with one another. And then Azula is obviously the odd man out in this situation fairly obviously like everybody is in conflict with azula and so azula takes that moment and assesses the situation and does one of the most evil things that she could do which is attack her uncle attacks iroh and like knocks him down and then that that throws zuko off that throws everybody else off and that gives azula a chance to escape so she's obviously quick thinking she obviously has that ruthless attitude that her father has and she's obviously very cunning and smart and so you have that kind of development with her character that this episode has which i think is just absolutely fantastic oh 100 percent. and to build off of that the way that they use the action in this show in order to reveal some of the character is one of another strength that this has the reason why it's writing in so many areas is incredible the example for this episode is it's a small thing but it is so revealing of their characters is when it's the three-way fight between Zuko, Aang, and Azula and Aang runs up to the second floor of a building he sort of peeks inside he's like waiting for Azula to catch up and then he rushes through we see that the building is hollowed out there is no second story there's no floor there so we just see him on his little air ball floating around Azula rushes in but she's able to catch herself. She's right calculated enough to where and quick thinking enough to where she spots, oh snap, there is no floor here. And then she's able to stop herself and then she does like some acrobatic thing mm -hmm. in order to gracefully um, regain balance. Zuko rushes up the stairs. He barges through and completely falls through because I mean, that's how he is. He's so headstrong, so driven, so relentless. He's pushing forward, sometimes forgetting to you know, pay attention to some of the small things. Mm -hmm. So like, even instances like that do a great job of showing who these characters are and where they're at just by their fighting styles and the choices they make within them. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said, I mean, that ending is just incredible. Seeing the six of them, like our heroes and villains of season one, working together against this other villain, it, number one, builds up that villain, shows how powerful she is because she does get out of that 6v1 situation. Mm -hmm. They all threw things at her, including the boomerang. Like they animated in where Sokka throws a boomerang. <laughs> she blocks all of that, gets out of there, and leaves them, like at least Iroh, I mean, wrecked. So a great show of strength, great villain building here. It's just great stuff, solid episode. Yeah, and we also get that moment where you could have Zuko, like he has that opportunity to get Aang or at least continue working to get Aang because that is his still at this point kind of his big end goal he is still focused on Aang at this point for the most part and then that really changed a lot in Zuko alone and it really changes here because now he's just hyper focused on Iroh who is 
like on the verge of death now from his attack. And so he just says leave and just tells him to go away. I think that's great. And that leads into season two, episode nine, bitter work. So you have just a big another episode where you're having Aang and Zuko have parallels this entire time, basically, where Aang is trying. It's the first time we see Aang really trying to learn earthbending and Zuko is trying to learn how to lightning bend. And so you have these two masters, Iroh and Toph, teaching them how to do these bending in 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 ways that they are not used to learning. So Zuko is very headstrong, very much, I'm going to just do it. And he has to stop and he has to focus on himself mentally in order to change that perspective to learn how to lightning bend. And Aang is very much a positive reinforcement kind of guy, whereas Toph is a tough, you know, learn how to earthbend, just do it kind of person who's teaching him how to do it, which is opposite of how he would you typically learn an element. Like it's how opposite of how Katara taught him how to waterbend. And I think it's interesting because we this is the first glimpse we see that like earthbending is sort of the opposite of airbending from a, a, a mental standpoint and by process of elimination, water and fire are the opposite, which kind of makes sense. Air is very loose and flow freeing, whereas earthbending is very rigid, structured, plant your feet, stand your ground sort of bending that you have to do. And so Aang isn't used to that. Aang is very much kind of a pushover because he's very, like I said in the last episode, he's a very peaceful kind of guy. And so having to take that stand and be aggressive with his his stubbornness is something that he's not used to, and so it takes him a while to learn. And on the other side of that, you have this great dialogue that, that Iroh has where he's showing off the four elements and he's like, they're all connected and you can learn something from everything. Firebending isn't the only element that is out there that you can bend. You should be focusing on all of these things. And he teaches Zuko how to move the energy through his body, which is a waterbending technique. And that's how he controls electricity, which I think is super neat, is he just takes it and he bends the energy through his body, the electricity through his body to shoot it out the other side. And that's what he's trying to teach Zuko how to do. But Zuko's so headstrong that he, they have this great line where Zuko's like, all right, now shoot lightning at me. And I was like, what are you crazy? I'm going to shoot lightning (laughs) at you. And so Zuko goes off and he goes to the mountain on his own where there's a big lightning storm. He's just trying to get hit by lightning in order to bend it because he's just so stubborn about it. And then the whole icing on the cake on this episode is that Sokka is stuck in a crack and he can't get out. And he's having the, the he's the com- comedic relief for the episode. And he's just having this internal struggle where he wants to get out so bad. And he's making promises to God that he'll give up sarcasm and he'll give up meat. And he'll be just a, an unfunny vegetarian for the rest of his life. And he's like, he has the, the little saber tooth uh, moose line, line thing, just pulling at his hair. <laughs> It's so funny. Everything in this episode is just like, it is very much, there's not much story happening. It's mostly character development throughout this episode, but it is done in such a way that is a more advanced version of a character development episode that you would see in season one. So they're definitely like advancing themselves as they write these episodes, as they progress through the show. It is getting more and more advanced. For sure. This one is one of my favorites of the season. Really? The way that it gives such a deeper understanding of the magic system, mm-hmm. right? As you described, Iroh giving that lesson to Zuko about the four bending styles and the characteristics that are attached to them. And then he's also 
he's making that connection of look they're all connected uh, and then you can be benefited by learning from the other uh, bending styles and the other cultures and the other nations that it becomes stale if you just only draw from one of these and of course that plays into how he was able to learn lightning redirection from studying the water bending uh, techniques so that I really enjoyed I also think the whole thing with again the way that they're trying to master these certain uh, new types of bendings for them uh, and that it's so difficult because of some element of their character as you described airbending and earthbending being opposites so we see when Toph pushes down that boulder to a blindfolded Aang that he leaps over it instead of facing it head on mm -hmm. and Zuko we know that lightning bending is not supposed to be uh, arisen out of any form of aggression it's supposed to just be right like pulling apart negative and positive energy and then as they clash together again just guiding uh, where that energy goes of course Zuko because he is so embroiled in anxiety and angst and all these different emotions particularly shame he's unable to do that and there's a great where Iroh was just dropping wisdom bombs all around mm -hmm. he says to Zuko pride isn't the opposite of shame it's its source humility is the antidote to shame which genius for real you sound like Brene Brown up in here but he did it first I mean he was bringing these lessons to us kids really early on and I think that's beautiful to showcase uh one two other things I want to bring up one is the way that they're able to weave Sokka's just complete side plot of him being the comedic relief into the main plot I think was amazing because Aang he finally does do the earth bending style of standing his ground against the big massive saber tooth moose lion thing charging at Sokka he initially tried to do it the airbender way finding some clever creative way to get around that issue mm -hmm. by like leading the moose lion away distracting him yeah. but when that didn't work he had to stand his ground in order to save Sokka and then he did the same to Toph in order to reclaim his staff it was funny how she was treating him as a pushover throughout that episode um, and so now since he unlocked the mentality the philosophy of being an earthbender he was able to move the rocks so I loved how that came about um, also I think it's interesting Katara we see her philosophy as well again her compassion really coming through in the way she tries to be positive towards Aang uh, and she was really trying to push Toph to do the positive reinforcement we see that she does that herself when she's practicing waterbending with Aang um, and so I just like that they gave more dimension to that how they were teaching there since after Paku like we were like okay Katara is going to be training Aang but we don't see much of that beyond the octopus thing and then this um, but I do like they they were still giving time to show it's a work in progress his water bending um, and that they're still training the thing I want to talk about is the ending of this when Zuko goes off to that mountaintop mm -hmm. and is screaming at the sky to have lightning sent to him you've always thrown everything you could at me well I can take it and now I can give it back Strike 
oh my god that was so heartbreaking for sure the the two things he says things like like strike me i can take it and now i can give it back come at me you've never held back before like those things zuko is in such pain he's in bad shape bro (laughs) and then it's rough the rain is falling down his cheeks and then his tear joins them like the streaks going down the trauma is real dude it is i don't like doing my first rewatch of this stuff because i did summer season two um before i was like oh i should wait for when we actually do these the avatar series Mm -hmm. um i was not this like emotionally connected to this scene in particular but on this rewatch bro like there was a lump in my throat i was like this is so sad poor Mm -hmm. zuko a great scene and that's part of why this episode is so high for me is i love the lore stuff learning the magic system i love the way it ties into the character work it's brilliant i love the philosophy arrows dropping and then this zuko moment at the end like right after we're rejoicing that ang learns airbending or earthbending then mm-hmm. we get this crushing final moment where we see just how difficult things are for zuko oh you just feel so much for him i just want the pain to go away for him i want him to be happy downer still ending have, again i know like a big streak of downer endings coming up but yeah great speaking episode <laughs> yeah speaking of which we have the library which the most is, downer of endings yeah which is the other episode that is like just entirely burned into my brain i Me think too. it's because of oh how cool it is just the premise of it seeing mm-hmm. this other side of the world like this library that's hidden underground protected by this uh wan Tong, this knowledge spirit that hates humans because he knows humans just really utilize knowledge in order to gain an advantage over other people rather than treating knowledge as an end in itself just knowing things to know them mm-hmm. uh like that i just really love also i mean there's a lot of great comedy in this as well and then a lot of things where plot is pushed forward Sokka shines a lot in this episode where yeah. he's really pushing them to to say okay we need more information or more intel on the fire nation if we're going to go and confront the fire lord he's the one that pushes them to do this uh he's also the one that finds the the parchment paper that mentions the darkest day about the fire nation he's like we need to find this like what this means and then he realizes once they're in that planetarium and they input the date that was Qatar's idea um but once they input the date and they see the solar eclipse he's the one that makes the connection oh the solar eclipse is when they lose their power this is the darkest day in their history this is when we can strike them and then of course they see oh there's an eclipse just before sozin's comet mm. this is their time to strike so it recontextualizes the entire aim and driving force of the season going forward it was at first to find an earth bender teacher for ang now it's to get this information to the earth king in order to help the war effort because this is going to be their best bet to stop mm-hmm. the fire lord and do it before sozin's comet comes in uh and so there's so much important things happening in this episode but again the real meat of it is them just exploring this cool spiritual library where every piece of knowledge is in there somewhere um i just love every bit of it yeah it's- it does i think always be up there just because of this not nostalgia factor now but i mean whenever something makes an impression on you 
from way back then, I mean, more than a decade ago, seeing these episodes, um, this one in particular, and it stays with me, I mean, you know, it really shines. And also more world building stuff, including sand bending, a variation mm-hmm. of earth bending, um, similar to like the swamp bending, the vine bending as a variation of water bending. We see more of these different distinct ways that elements in this magic system can be utilized mm-hmm. and that's just always interesting it's always compelling yeah i to me there's all there's like for this episode there's a great shift tonally because now we're in a new environment in a desert which we haven't seen before in the show it is new we didn't even know it existed up until this point and we have another shift into the library with wan Shitong, who's such an intimidating creature which is a huge part of the character design and an even bigger part to the voice acting, which is Hector Elizondo, which is fantastic. Just absolutely wonderful voice acting. Oh, 100%. It's just absolutely terrifying. That That is the reason that this is, like you, this is one of the episodes that is burned into my memory. It's because of the terrifying knowledge spirit and also because of Ava being connected at the end of those two things. It was like there's just so much happening in this one episode that it was like striking to me as a child to watch but you have that shift where it's no longer because for this whole season it's been about ang focusing on ang and focusing on his bending abilities and now you have a shift back towards season one where it's like there is a war we need to find a way to stop the fire lord and then they figure out that this is the easiest way to do so is to attack on the darkest day in fire nation history because they will have no powers. You learn more about Fire Nation when you you think about how the sun gives them their power, because they, they are, are less powerful at night. Uh, we get our first glimpse of a lion turtle, which is super cool. It's just a, like, a little two-second thing. Aang opens up the scroll and says, hey, cool, look at this lion turtle, with no knowledge of how important that would be right. in the grand, grand scheme of things. Like You haven't seen Legend of Korra, right? No. Do you have do you have any knowledge about the lion turtles and that or any of that stuff? I mean, outside of what is given in Avatar: Last Airbender, no. It the lion turtles are like the most important things in Avatar. You like they're even more important than you think they are. You learn about that <laughs> in Korra, like ridiculously important. Uh, so you learn a bit about that. I just think the end when you have Toph who's trying so hard just to keep this library up, but also save Appa. You have her facing these difficult choices and she is like just trying so hard and she just can't do it. And she sheds those tears over Appa as Appa gets taken away. I mean, we haven't had a moment like that with Toph yet. That's like the first big moment where she has like this defeat. It's the first time she hasn't been able to do something. This is her first defeat in the show is that she can't save Appa and save the gang at the same time. She has to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And so that definitely impacts her. It affects her outlook on life. It affects how she thinks about herself. She's no longer just the greatest. Like she failed. She lost at something. She was not able to do it all. I think that is a really great character moment for Toph. I just think this whole episode is just a standout in this season and in the show in particular, because it's just so much more distinct than any other episode. It's just everything about the tone, everything about the design, everything about the story of this episode. It's just so much more different than anything we've seen so far. And I think we see ever since. So I just, I love this episode. 
my whole heart. Oh, 100% agree. Everything you said there. Four brief points to throw out there. Two of which are comedy things. One, Toph saying, look, there it is. And then everyone looks over at the MT skyline. With the with the inspirational music yeah. as well. <laughs> that was a great moment. That's what it'll sound like when one of you spots it. That was great. Another moment that had me laugh out loud was the <laughs> the knowledge spirit collecting all the books and whatnot with his foxy knowledge seekers. And Sokka <laughs> raises an eyebrow and goes, oh, so he's got attractive assistants. <laughs> and Katara's like, no, I think he means they're actual foxes. And he's like, well, a bit of both. They're handsome creatures. <laughs> like that whole bit was just hilarious to me. Um, and then another thing, this episode is great because it was set up in the previous season. Like they had made as the Lion Turtles are right here. Just a passing mention of Commander Zhao being like, oh, I visited an underground library. And we didn't realize that like this is the extent of that library. So it's cool that this is a callback to that whole moment. Mm-hmm. And we see in the same way how Zhao burnt all the Fire Nation things and clued uh, Wan Tong into being like, I need to be careful of who comes in here. Um, Sokka and company do essentially the same thing Zhao did in finding a really important uh, piece of information that'll help them in the war effort. So I love the parallels there. Um, and the final thing is with Aang. We start out this episode with him playing, like conducting a groundhog orchestra. Mm. Like that's what he's doing. And so, of course, we see that playful, lovable side of him, which in these next few episodes really gets tested uh, because of Appa's capture. Mm. So, yeah, a great episode all around for the little tidbits that are callbacks and uh, foreshadowings, but all the character stuff and the cool setting and premise definitely as you said makes this a big standout yeah and then we move on to episode 11 the desert which is a little bit lower on my list for reasons i'll get into in a little bit basically ang this is just another big character episode but done very well because we're really focusing on ang and his response to to appa being kidnapped and seeing him go through that traumatic experience of this creature that he was so connected to is gone now like it's literally his his uh avatar animal like it's it's his connective force to his past It's the only thing left of the air nation other than momo i guess and so he's just so connected to appa and to have that connection severed because he was kidnapped because he took too long in the library is just devastating for him and he's angry and he's lashing out to everybody he's blaming Toph. he's blaming everybody he's just so just so much rage within him is just being released all at once because he has no control over the situation. He's completely lost and he has no way to fix it. Uh, we get a little look at the wasp vulture things that I'm not a big fan of. I think they're kind of lame, but yeah. I understand their purpose. I just think they're just kind of stupid. But we have that whole thing happening and then we have this great moment at the end where the sandbenders show up and it's the full sandbending culture and Aang is getting really angry at them and he's he's blaming them for stealing Appa and they're like, we would never do that. You stole our sand sailor and uh, Toph is like, I recognize that one's voice. He's the one who stole Appa. And so you find out that the person that is responsible for Appa's theft is like the son of the chief. And so he's doing he did this pretty much on his own 
we gather that evidence uh, as the scene progresses. We learn that it was probably his choice. He was leading a, a small group of the sandbenders that the sandbenders as a whole probably would not have captured the Avatar's animal and that they're sorry for that. But even though they apologize and and are willing to help him in their search for Appa, he just goes full Avatar state and just starts demolishing everything and getting angry like he just let his emotions take over him no matter what like they just fully envelop him and it's just an, just an expression of that rage just comes out of him is something that we haven't seen yet and it's just crazy to watch and the last thing i would like to talk about in this episode is the best part is the cactus juice <laughs> just that whole sequence with can I just say that Sokka and Momo are the best duo in this show? Because oh, they, they were they, a riot in this one. <laughs> they match each other's energy so well. In another episode, in the, the Cave of Two Lovers episode, it's very brief, but when they're learning the octopus move, Sokka's just chilling in the water and Momo's just laying on top of him, and I think it's so cute. I think mm-hmm. they match each other's energies just so well. And so to see them trip on Cactus Juice is just such a funny... Just such a great comedic relief, just fantastic. It's the best comedic relief in this entire season. When he says it's the quenchiest, <laughs> it's just <laughs> absolutely amazing. I, I, I do. Even though this is lower on my list of episodes for this season, that is a standout moment right there. That and the end of the episode. Right. So yeah, just to chime in on some of the things here. One that I don't think you brought up was the whole Order of the White Lotus world building that we get. Um, So with Zuko and Iroh, we get that. And of course, that pays off in a big way. Yeah, that is in season three. Um, So and I also like even in this one, it pays off how Pai Show is just something that initially was, oh, it's a board game. But then we find out, no, it's actually a way that these people in the secret order are able to communicate with each other and verify that they are a part of the White Lotus. And we also find out that Iroh is a longtime member grandmaster of the white lotus so we see that go down zuko of course is at a loss for what that means he's not able to get into the meeting we don't even know essentially what they talked about but now we know that zuko and iroh have a passport to bossing say and that's their next destination which i think is interesting because they're not pursuing the avatar going there right this is them fleeing from the fire nation which of course jinfu and master Yu, they just happen to spot a fire nation poster that has zuko and iroh those wanted posters and so they briefly have to deal with them um but that's i think a really important thing to point out because zugo and ira at this point every other time we've seen them they're pursuing the avatar actively right this time they're trying to evade capture by the fire nation um and so it's peeling away at that one core identity of zuko is that he's not currently chasing the avatar and by extension chasing his honor in return home so i thought that was interesting for their piece of it um as for the gang as you mentioned yeah the whole Sokka being high with the cactus juice and terrorizing momo perfectly balancing out the real grief and anger that ang is feeling mm-hmm. and we see i mean the worst sides of him come out here where he initially just leaves them right where the the library sunk he leaves them to go pursue appa which at that he didn't say oh i'll be back shortly or anything like that like he just left them just to chase after appa and so katara has to be the one to take charge with the group uh lead uh toff who is very much 
blind in the sand uh, environment since it messes up her size makes sense. Um, and then, of course, Sokka being high. So they're sort of taken out of it. And so Katara has to care for them, deal with them, and also try to be compassionate towards Aang when he's at this very low moment. So she's the problem solver for this episode, is able to uh, come up with the things like using the scrolls that they took from the library that Sokka took in order to use his navigation to get out of the desert. Mm -hmm. um, when a cloud comes overhead, she has Aang fly up there and grab the uh, water from inside the cloud. And I love the moment where he comes back down and hands it to her. And she's like, oh, not a lot of water in here. And Aang just yells at her. He just immediately gets yeah. on her about, sorry, okay, I'm, I tried the best I could. It's a desert cloud. There's not a lot of water in it. What have you mm -hmm. done lately? Like, he just essentially, I mean, cracks a little bit there. And Katara afterwards is like, oh, I'm trying to keep us together. Um, and so I love the way that Katara in this episode really stepped up and was the leader through it. And we still saw her compassionate side as well for Aang. And then, of course, the ending, when Aang is going into the Avatar state, Katara, tears streaking down her face, grabs him and pulls him down before he can do any like devastating damage to all those people. Mm -hmm. And Sokka had told everyone to run and they fled. But Katara stays behind. And of course, this is horrible for her because she knows the intense emotional agony that he's in. Uh, but she just grabs him, brings him back down, and hugs him. And then they're crying together. And uh, this one also, the reason I like this episode a lot is because that also just hit me so hard. I wrote in the script the personal thoughts, um, which I didn't mean to carry over into this one, but this was just in my own document when I was writing these things up. But I was like, bro, I don't know what happened with this watch through, but with bitter work, in the end of this, mm -hmm. the characters being broken down to their core and crying. It got me, man. I'm wow. so invested. This is such a good show. Season two is off the chain. You did write that. You were sounding like <laughs> Lillian there in this little, this little, uh, what is it called? Little the stream of honesty. consciousness. <laughs> this little stream of consciousness thing you're writing here. Is off the chain. Two. I think that it got me, man. That's definitely you, I feel like. Like that. Really? <laughs> the, it got me, yeah. I guess that's my ah, me, enunciation, but in terms of like typing it out, that's something like Lillian would type out. What do you mean? If that's like how Lillian, you say it, why wouldn't that be something you would type? I wouldn't type it out like that. Like I type out things pretty normal. This is, this is we don't have time for this. That's, we so, really don't. Okay, <laughs> move on. So, so episode twelve, we get to the Serpent's Pass, which is the mid-season premiere in September two thousand six. It is Secrets of the Fire Nation Part One. It premiered the same day as Secrets of the Fire Nation Part Two, which is the Drill, which is episode thirteen, which we'll get to in a second basically for me this is me the same way that secret tunnel the cave of two lovers is you living out your like i don't want to say fantasy but you had a crush on guitar and you lived out that experience through ang i also had a crush on suki on top of tyler <laughs> wow so, doubling so, up on the crush i know so i lived like through Sokka in this episode and like to see him go through that uh, emotional conversation with her because he's like so worried about her. He's so conscious of her the entire time because he's he's tra traumatized from the experience with UA at the end of season one that like. There's just something so interesting to see how that pays off in him being so overprotective of uh, Suki, who's definitely someone who could handle herself and that she's fine on her own. And so to see that, like, 
manifest in, in physical attempts to prevent her from danger in an exaggerated way because of he couldn't stop UA from turning into the moon is such an interesting sort of arc and having that pay off because he has that conversation where he's like I can't get close to you because of I lost someone important to me and I can't lose someone again and have that pay off all the way in the end when he sees Suki you know swim all the way out and get tough and then be like it's just total badass throughout the whole episode just doing great on her own without anyone's help that comes full circle all the way to the end where he just gives into his feelings and kisses her and it's fantastic it's just fantastic to see that him just like he's like I give up I need to move past this. I need to move past UA and accept that I cannot change the past and just accept my, my feelings are here and embrace them, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, the rest of the episode is is like everything else that the gang is doing, just getting through Serpent's past is just cool action to me because the Serpent is really well designed and I just love like the conflict of all of that. The only other cool part is the Zuko and Iroh part where they're actually on the boat getting to Bossing Say, because they're all getting to Bossing Say in this episode. is essentially them getting from point A to Bossing Say. <laughs> and so Zuko and I are on the boat, and we get reintroduced to Jet, which is super cool. That they well, you love Jet. I, I really a little love bit of Jet. A, I think you had a crush on Jet, too. A little bit. To be honest. <laughs> His swords are the coolest swords in the entire show. Right. That is just, it's just amazing. But... We were talking about this when we did our season one episode, when we talked about the episode Jet, where we were glad they didn't just throw away characters all the time. They would often bring them back like to be used again and again and again. And this is a perfect example of that is Jet gets a full arc in season two where he comes back. He's no longer crazy, seemingly. He's more mellowed out as opposed to season one. He's very much, uh, we're going to take down the Fire Nation still, but he's not like gonna just start killing people like he was in season one and i love the payoff at the end where he's trying to get zuko to be a freedom fighter and to fight for something good and zuko's trying to like zuko's like kind of giving into it but then he says that he sees iroh heat up his tea which is such a throwaway moment like there's what happens is iroh gets the tea and it's cold and then he talks as jet talks to zuko away from Iroh and you can see it in the background Iroh turns around and then when he turns back the tea is hot and it's just such a like don't see it and you miss it but it does actually happen and you can actually see it happen and when they go back and he sees the hot tea it's just so such a little thing and it's just brilliant like that's all you need that's all you need to for Jet to be like oh these guys are are firebenders like they have to be how else did he heat that tea and then he just goes off and is crazy again like he just commits to being crazy yet again. We see that in the next episode progress. And that becomes like his entire arc is that he's obsessed with Zuko and Iroh. And then that comes to bite him in the ass severely. But I love that whole setup that happens. I love uh, everything to do with Suki and Sokka. Anytime we get an episode just on that is fantastic. But everything else is sort of just like Aang being upset over Appa. Yeah, Aang I'm going to push back on that. And I think for me, the standout, well, obviously, again, Aang and Katara. So I am very much invested in that. Mm-hmm. And we see like Aang goes through a nice mini little arc here where in the beginning, he's trying to be very much emotionally closed off, pretending now that Oppo doesn't really affect him. And Katara notices that and is like, hey, you were very distraught previously. Now you seem like you don't even care what's going on. And Aang is trying to 
be strong by not showing emotions, by like suppressing them. And Katara is like, hey, you need a hug. And Aang rejects it. And he's talking about how because of, and we see this with the nightmares as well, with the Avatar State back in the season premiere, because he was so shaken up by what he was about to do because of the loss of Appa, he's like, those feelings are too much. I need to suppress them. Like that is a solution to this. And Katara is like, no, no, no. It's okay to be upset about it. Um, but yeah, we see that where Aang is at at the beginning of the episode is trying to be closed off, like purposely so. They When they come across the Serpent's Pass, the mark on the side of the tower there that says Serpent's Pass says something like give up hope or abandon hope. And everyone's like, oh, that's awful. That's frightening. And Aang's like, maybe we should. Hope won't do anything for us. We got to do actions. And then by the end of the episode, when we see Katara birthing the baby, which also, I don't know if I mentioned this in Zuko alone, but a great character moment is at the very beginning of that episode, Zuko comes across people with a fire pit cooking up some food, and he's about to go steal that food because he's hungry. We've already seen a precedent established of him stealing food, but he sees that the mother is pregnant. It's like a couple and the mom is pregnant, and so he decides not to do that. So we know there are definitely some moral boundaries there. Maybe some moments about seeing Ursa in that woman, his mother. Um, so he doesn't do anything. That couple is the people that they're trying to bring across Serpent's Pass and that now are delivering that baby. That's such a cool little connection that they never really explicitly like show that either character knows that the other affected um, this couple. But that's just another cool connection of how they're intertwined in the moments where in these episodes, Aang and Zuko are not really connected at all. Other than that brief moment in yeah. the chase, um, it's cool to see they're still interweaving their storylines. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Katara shows some skills in being able to deliver that baby. And then everyone goes in to see that child. Aang doesn't, but Katara's like, yo, come in and see this. And then Aang walks in and he sees it. And then he like starts crying a bit and re- mentions how he's been going through such a t- tough time. But seeing the love that their family has has given him hope again. And then they mm-hmm. name the child Hope. And that's so beautiful. She sounds healthy. She's beautiful. It's so squishy looking. What should we name her? I want our daughter's name to be unique. I want it to mean something. I've been going through a really hard time lately. But you've made me hopeful again. I know what I want to name our baby now. Hope. That's a perfect name. Hope. So I love the mini little arc that Aang goes through in this episode. And I feel like it is very crucial because he's no longer as uh, upset and grieving as he was in the desert. Like that was the peak of it. Here he's able to accept it more and he's still obviously going to go pursue uh appa but at this point in time he's more okay with it um he's not in as much emotional turmoil but that brings us to the drill which you sort of mentioned that whole steaming tea thing was part mm-hmm. of the drill part of it um but this episode also interesting enough was one of the ones burned in my brain partially from the show but also partially from the ps2 avatar game burning oh. earth yeah i had that on ps2 and the play and the ending of that game is this is the drill 
Really? Yeah. Which did I don't they know follow why. It up? Did they follow it up with a sequel? I really don't remember. I don't know if the game did that well to get a <laughs> sequel to it, but Big I never bummer. got it. But I do remember enjoying the game because, I mean, I was in love with Avatar. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoyed it. But yeah, it was season two ending here, which I guess makes sense because this is also... Well, maybe I don't know. Because the whole season was in 2006 and they had a mid-season break, this being the mid-season finale. I don't know why they wouldn't just wait for the whole season and then do that, just adapt yeah. the whole thing to a game. Yeah. But anyway, very uh, interesting episode here because we get to see them do more clever things with the G blocking um, that Katara notices and we explicitly call that out, mm. taking them down from the inside. Sokka's like, yo... He's the plan guy, so he makes the connection. We can do that to the drill. Toph is able to get them over to the drill uh, in an interesting way. And then they go in and they're trying to, because Aang was able to apply some of Toph's teachings, like you shouldn't apply 100% of your strength in every Mm -hmm. single strike, spread it out uh, across multiple strikes um, and across multiple areas. And then you can do one major blow to, to make the enemy fold over. They do that to the structure inside the drill um, to compromise it. So that was very interesting here. We see more of May and Tai Lee. Uh, they like absolutely wreck the Earth Kingdom terror team, as they're called, uh, the mm. defenders on the outer wall. So that shows their power. Um, so a lot of uh, this is definitely an action-oriented episode. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and so in that way, I mean, it's interesting investing. We don't get any crazy... Like character breakthroughs, um, the whole jet thing, I think, is the most compelling character moment because we know immediately once he makes a connection of over their firebenders, we know just like Zuko's struggle with father's approval being the like key motivator at all times, jet, that deep-seated hatred of the fire nation, we know mm-hmm. it's going to cause problems. So very interesting stuff this episode. Again, great action the way... He is able to fight Azula and sort of gets shaken up at times by her. Um, but he does come out on top. He's able to able to deliver that final glow or final blow. Then all the goo comes bursting out mm. kind of gnarly. But yeah, solid action episode. Uh, I think you covered everything i would want to talk about you did a pretty good job covering it. it is pretty much just an action-based episode and the only like introspective really clever writing parts is when they're talking about how to defeat the drill and using the pressure points and dividing up the the amount of force they should use on each pillar and all that sort of jazz uh i did get the the jen iro sort of interaction with the the hot tea backwards it is this episode i love that part i absolutely love it it is, it is so it's good a, it's so great it's just a good way to to push Jet into that crazy mode again. And so I absolutely love it. But this is all around. It's a great episode. It's great action. It's great to see. This is the first time we see Aang doing fighting with Earthbending, really, against other combatants. So he's starting to become more confident in his abilities. He's been practicing a lot. And you can see him uh, advance that sort of practice he's been doing with with the uh, gauntlet the rock gauntlet he has and all the different rock bending he uses which is pretty cool uh overall uh, it's just a fun episode to watch it's a good setup for the rest of the bossing say arc uh i just really like it i guess but i do love 
the next episode, episode 14, City of Walls and Secrets. This may be my favorite episode of the season. It might be. It's definitely up there. Because basically you have the, all these trials that they're getting through just to get to Ba Sing Se. Ever since they left Omashu, it's been pretty much get to Ba Sing Se as the goal, essentially. Because they're like trying to find an earthbender they, to train him. They find him. And they're just trying to get to Bossing Say essentially because it is their Earth capital and they need to talk to the Earth King. And they finally get there after all their trials, after everything they've been through, after not having Appa anymore. All of this crazy things that have happened to them. And it does not stop. You have basically they have written Bossing Say as being the city that's impenetrable. So you can't have the Fire Nation be the antagonist of Bossing Say, the Bossing Say arc. Like you can't let that be it. So Bossing Say has to provide its own antagonist for the gang to be up against. And that takes the form of Long Fang and the Dai Li. And it's, it's just such a subversive thing to do where you have this Earth Kingdom capital and the Earth element itself is just so outwardly stubborn and outwardly strong. And to counteract that with such a, a sneaky, intelligence-based spy network that has a conspiracy like they've wrapped themselves around the king's throne and have taken control over bossing say in that way instead of by force which is such an interesting thing that we don't see ever again in the earth kingdom either in this show or in legend of Korra. like there's never been anyone who's trying to conquer the earth kingdom using these sort of tactics other than the daily and then later on azula we'll, that we'll talk about but I love the Daily. I love their design. I love how creepy they are. Absolutely terrifying. And I love how they build up to it. They start with Judy, who shows up and is their tour guide. And Judy's very creepy, of course. Off the bat, yeah. So, Off you know, something's bat, very... suspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And basically, you have them going around town talking about Appa, trying to get people to talk about Appa. And you have Judy in the, behind them all, just shaking her head no at the people they're talking to. And so the people, and so you already have the sense of like, oh, something's going on. The government is suppressing people in some kind of way. There's some kind of mischievous thing going on around here. Uh, they refer to the Dai Li as cultural authority, which is just essentially means elite police force that is suppressing dissidents, which is just their entire job. Is that an espionage? And we have this whole setup of them going to the Earth King's party. Dude, <laughs> the best moment in season two is when the whole thing, the whole time Judy is like, you can't go to the party. You can't talk to the Earth King. Please leave. Like when she when she's at the party, she sees them. She's like, you guys have to get out of here, please. She actually seems scared at this moment. She's like, you got to get out of here. Please get out of here. And then Aang goes up to the Earth King and Long Fang intercepts him. And he introduced himself to the Avatar and it cuts to Judy, and dude, her smile fading away into just fear and terror, along with the music, is such a scary thing to watch. Because it's like, it's just, it's such a good way to set up how terrifying the Daily are and what they do to people. Because at the same time, you have Jet, who is fighting Zuko to, in order to prove that they're firebenders. And of course, Zuko and I are able to stand their ground and make Jet look like a crazy person so he gets kidnapped by the Dai Li in order to suppress any knowledge of the Fire Nation and any knowledge of the war. 
And so you have that whole thing going on at the same time as Jet getting brainwashed. And so it like cuts back and forth between the two and watching it's like it's like a full like just descent into this madness that is the conspiracy just in one episode alone they just gradually like ease you into it until the very end where you just see everything boil down to how crazy these people are and everything it's just so incredibly done Dude, and also and the, the kicker at the end though of a new a new judy, judy. a random woman saying i'm Ooh. judy Dude, it's so terrifying so, yes yeah, so oh, brilliant so terrifying so unsettling to watch and the 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 sprinkling the icing on this episode is the punchline that the earth king owns a bear <laughs> you're right but it's just a bear and they're like a platypus bear a skunk bear a bear no it just says bear <laughs> and so it's just a bear it's so funny it's perfect yeah, but this episode is absolutely amazing. It sets up the Daily arc really well, and it just it sets up Bossing Say really well. I just think it's all just so fantastic. Yeah, hundred percent. To add two quick things, like with the world building, Bossing Say being that impenetrable city built with even more rings around it, right, concentric mm-hmm. uh, circles, with the inner rings being the most protected and also being the ones of the wealthy and the elites. And there's an interesting line that Aang has where. He's talking about this is not how the monks taught us to live. Um, Guitar also sort of mentions that, like when the refugees um, are all being kept in the outer rings, right? The most vulnerable ones, they take issue with that, um, which I just thought was an interesting way to tie that into the world building, have these characters comment on that, um, this new world that they're getting exposed to, the city, and then how we, the audience, is also getting uh, introduced to it. And just to add to your thing about the Dai Li, yeah, their design is so incredible in those rock hands that they have. Oh, mm. that's just so cool. Because that's also terrifying, the way that they shoot them out and they muffle people's mouths as they get yeah. like dragged away. It's terrifying. For real. like the just way the that... design of everything with the Dai Li and everything with the conspiracy is just so hauntingly scary. There's a, a, a thing, I'll bring it up when we get to like Lao Guy. But there's just something that they do in there that is so odd for animation that works so well. We'll get there. I'll make sure to mention it. Yeah. All right. In episode 15, Tales of Bossing Say, which is an anthology episode, you would expect this to be filler. It kind of is. But because we get so, Such uh, good so much filler. insight into these characters, yeah, you can't even really consider it filler. So it's still a part of the great stretch of episodes that we have here in season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to highlight, I don't want to go necessarily through all of them, but just highlight um, the guitar and top one, as we mentioned before, this is where we see more development of how Toph feels about herself and her identity as being a blind girl. Um, and so as their guitar is taking Toph out on a girl's day out um, mm-hmm. in order to get pampered and all that, um, and they do so and Toph enjoys it. They're walking down um, in their nice clothing and makeup. And then these mean girls pass by and insult Toph. Um, and then she responds in a way that we would expect her to and like opens up the bridge underneath the girls so they fall into the river and then Katara shoes them away, um, getting that nice one too, bending punch. But the the icing on this part of it was we get to see Katara really again shine in her compassion itself um, mm-hmm. and reassure Toph in a way that right, Toph outwardly was showing that oh she didn't need this she doesn't care about appearances or approval she knows who she is 
and part of that certainly is true but i think there's always an element of everyone that wants to be validated um mm -hmm. and so because toff can't like deal with that can't again do that for herself katara yeah. um does and mentions all these great admiral traits about toff um, mm -hmm. that are not connected to appearance but then she also includes how toff really is pretty and we yeah. see that means the world to toff so that was a really beautiful moment and it's really nice to see because of the four members in the gang eventually five with zuko katara and toff are kind of the most dynamically opposed to each other like they're the opposites of each other really and they're always kind of bickering in many episodes and they very rarely get along and it's so nice to see them have an episode where it's just the two of them and they do get along and they do have a moment to bond finally so it shows that because this whole time we've just seen them bicker anytime the two of them really have an interaction so it's just it's just good to see that they can create solid arcs solid stories with any character within the gang and have them get along and have them learn a lesson together that's nice to see the the big kicker for Tales of Bossing Say, of course, comes in the middle of the episode with Iroh. And what a what a great three, four minutes of storytelling. It's just it's Iroh going through his day, which is already fantastic. <laughs> he's super nice to everybody. He's helpful to everybody. He helps the pl the plant and leaves wisdom for the person and the person's nice back to him. So he's nice back to the person. And then he goes and kids uh, break down a window with their soccer ball. And he's just like trying to teach them a lesson. The guy gets mad and he's like, not this time, run. <laughs> and so he runs away from them. And then he try, he almost gets mugged. And seeing him like have that conversation with his mugger and like teach him lessons and then have him sit down and like listen to the mugger is just, it's like looking at his personality and just like creating a story based around that personality in and of itself is just so beautiful. And then the big gut punch at the end is that it's his it's his son's birthday and he's celebrating his son's birthday and he's singing leaves from the vine oh it's so sad he he lights the the in the incense and stares at the picture of his son and just sings and cries and i'm pretty sure i may be wrong but the voice actor mako he he wrote this song i'm pretty sure and it was about himself like a younger version of himself going to war in World War Two, where he served. So he was singing about himself, essentially, the actor was. And this was also the last one of the last things he recorded before he passed away. And so the additional gut punch on top of the gut punch is that this brief four minute stretch is dedicated to his memory because he passed away before season or in the middle of season two being premiered. And of course, he's not featured in season three, but we do have another voice actor who took over and was doing an impression of him. So we do have Iroh living on, of course, but this is one of the last things he recorded and it is very sad. For sure. A beautiful farewell letter to Mako, who, I mean, by all accounts was a man as good as Iroh. And you're right. I mean, the leaves of the On the Vine song. Oh, beautiful. I mean, I know you're going to play beautiful. that for this episode. I am going and to, it right now. <laughs> Happy birthday, my son. If only I could have helped you. Leaves from the vine Falling so slow Like fragile 
tiny shells drifting in the foam. Little soldier boy, come marching home. Brave soldier boy, comes marching home. And it's so lovely. It's just beautiful. It's been in my head. And I watched that episode like three or four or five days ago, I believe at this point. Yeah, it had to be. And mm. it's still like, I'll just be doing something, going about my day, and I'll hum that tune to myself. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's mm-hmm. so it's like comforting, but then it's also it's tragic depressing. because of the subject matter. Apparently, I also don't know if this is true. This could be an urban legend, but apparently mm. he recorded it when he had found out he had cancer. Oh. And so that's another emotional element to it. And he passed away shortly after the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the episode itself with Iroh, he's a great man and seeing all the emotion uh, is on display in relation to his son was beautiful. But then the added context of Mako, the voice actor, it really does make this stand out um, yeah. as a beautiful piece of art, really. I mean, this mm-hmm. four minute thing. Um, I think for the most part, we can skip Ang and Sokka just because they're sort of, those are kind of filler and it is mostly about comedic relief as well as Ang is sort of uh, expressing himself as a protector of nature who is helping the animals that are so cramped and crowded and he helps them by providing more open spaces and that sort of connects him to his search for Appa as he's supposed to be protecting nature and he can't find Appa. But Sokka's is 100% just comedic relief. As and it's good. Per it's usual. Cool. It is very good. Yeah. One syllable too many, bub. And his face as he gets rocketed out of the thing. <laughs> it was just beautiful. Yeah, that part certainly filler but it was Mm -hmm. fun very engaging with zuko this is another one where like i don't know if in the previous ones it just didn't connect as much but this one i the whole way through i was like slightly cringing at the awkwardness of zuko but also smiling at the prospect of him Mm -hmm. actually having some happiness in his life and being a normal teenager uh it's just very beautiful and of course the way iroh is encouraging him to do this he's you see like his mindset i mean it's played off his jokes but his mindset where he's always looking over his back and thinks that this woman uh this girl looking at him in the store is somehow someone connected to the fire nation that's about to uh reveal them as who they are and then chase them down Um, but i was like no she just likes you you should ask her out Uh, and then he has to navigate that i like wrote in here did i do it Oh, yeah, our angsty villain has to confront something worse than chasing down the Avatar, a simple date. Like, it's just funny <laughs> to take him out of his element um, and put him into something that is so normal and mundane, but he just is completely out of his league and doing it. And the whole thing is just so great. Like, you're rooting for him to to enjoy the date when he lights mm-hmm. up the lamps near the water, like taking that risk to maybe reveal himself as a firebender in the heart of Bossing Ba just to make to make Jin, who's a girl, um, happy and have that moment that she wanted to actually come to fruition. Um, and then you see he initially avoids the kiss, but then accepts it and then goes for more, but then stops himself. It's just like, ah, you want him to like be happy, Zuko, you're so close. And yeah. he just can't, he can't at this point. And it's, it's so sad to see. Um, but the ending, it does, like when he comes in and slams the door, 
and you're like, oof. But then he opens and it's like, oh, it was nice. Like it did leave us on that, got nice that little that glimpse of happiness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he did enjoy it. He had a nice night. And that's mm. that makes me so happy. I made my yeah, night. And as per usual with season two, we have to end on the downer ending. So basically we get Momo's story, which other than the fact that Iroh is just so it's probably my second favorite story is Momo's just because it seems like it's it's just so sad watching him wrap the fur around his arm and just go hunting for Appa on his own. Just because, and he has the flashbacks where he's flying with Appa. Like, I don't know what about it, but this time watching season two, rewatching it, everything about Appa missing just made me tear up, dude. Everything about him being gone made me sad. And this this little section of Momo just hunting for him, and the very because it's it's all just him hunting and like avoiding challenges, and he dances a little, and it's just a little bit fun. But the end where he curls up in the op- in Appa's footprint, I mean, dude, I had tears almost in my eyes. Yeah. I was so sad about it. It was just so upsetting to see this time for whatever reason. But it's also an important clue. We learned, boom, Appa is or was at some point in Bossing Say. Recently, super because duper the footprint's important. still there. So yeah, yeah. And no. that leads us into episode sixteen, Appa's Lost Days, which is it's another sort of breather from the traditional story like they we had tales of bossing say which was just like interludes and now we have Appa's lost day which is just about about Appa recapping everything that he went through so we're like taking another break from the overall story and ooh, this one packs a punch for me dude it, it just watching him go through it all i mean it hurts to watch he goes through so much so he gets kidnapped by the sandbenders then sold off to the beetle people who like beat him up and tranquilize him and then put in a circus where he's literally abused. And like, what a good way to showcase animal abuse in carnivals and and traveling circuses. But that's another point. It's just watching him go through that trauma, developing a fear of fire that he has not had yet, but that he like he's, he now has that fear. And then breaking out, and then he's just like sick and tired. And he finally finds the Kyoshi Warriors. Or the Kyoshi Warriors finally find him and they clean him up and they help him, which is such a nice thing to see. And then Azula shows up and just fucks it up again. He has to run away in fear. And then that's another great thing is they leave Azula and Suki in conflict. They leave that open-ended so we don't know how that ends and that sets up what happens later. And then to see him just show up and he's finally in bossing, say, and you hear the bison whistle and you're like, oh, What's gonna happen? How's he gonna how's he gonna find out who's who's doing the bison whistle? And it's Long Fang and he just kidnaps him and you're like, oh great. Another reason to hate Long Fang is he now has Appa. And it's a good thing because now for the rest of for the next episode when we're looking for Appa with Aang, we have that uh dramatic irony going on where we know where Appa is and he doesn't. So that it definitely helps in that situation. It's like suspense versus surprises. We have that suspense of knowing, hey. We know where Appa is. Please go there. Go there now. Go find Appa. We know who has him. Just do it, Aang. And he can't do it because he doesn't have the information yet. Right. So this is a great showcase for Appa. Oh, I forgot. He goes to Eastern Air Temple and we have the introduction of the Guru, which is very important for later on. And we also have flashbacks to when, oh, dude, the flashbacks for, to when Aang picks Appa. I had I teared up at that. It was so cute. It was it's so cute. so cute. I teared up at that very easily. Everything about Appa in the season is making me cry, man. But that happened. That's always great. I love all that stuff. This is a very good episode. It's a very good showcase for Appa. And 
we get to see him in his full glory getting abused for character development. <laughs> Tragic. But then also all the plot element stuff as well, right? With the Air Temple and the yes. Azula stuff. Mm-hmm. So again, it's able to make you, because everyone loves animals, everyone's going to care about Appa. Um, and we want to see how he's doing. And of course, it packs the emotional gut punch of seeing him hurting in the way that he is and being alone. But then it also provides so many plot things that are needed as set up for future episodes. And so the way that they're, again, able to balance that out with essentially an episode just focusing on Appa is incredible. Um, and Oof. in season two, episode 17, Lake Lao Guy, Oof. we get even more complexity. One of the things that I love about this episode, um, beyond the fact that, I mean, we get to dive deeper into that whole conspiracy, mm. is the gang has to see Jet again. And Katara who was the greatest fan of Jet in the season one episode initially. Now she is the one that holds the biggest grudge. She is the most distrustful of him when he shows up. Uh, it's I was surprised at how Taka was, how Sokka was chill with Jet's uh, reappearance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, ultimately they're like, okay, let's give him a chance if he wants to help us find uh, Appa. And of course, we as the viewer, we know... Something went down in Lake Lao Guy with the brainwashing. We don't know what's going on with Jet. Is he secretly working for Long Thing right now? Can he be trusted, or does he not even know that he's been brainwashed um, and is like being used as a secret agent? We, the way that they incorporate Long Shot and Smellerby into it, um, like that's the way that they find out Jet is has been brainwashed, and we Ooh. have Toff's new ability coming into it, being yeah. able to determine. If somebody's lying by sensing their heart rate, right, feeling uh, that and her seismic ability, mm-hmm. that was a super interesting uh, inclusion uh, in terms of expanding the earthbending powers, right? That's part of the world building. Um, seeing the way that they try to coax Jet out of the brainwashing, try to bring back his memories to him, uh, was interesting. They rely on that key facet of his character hating the Fire Nation, hating particularly what they had done to him. Um, and so that's the way that he's able to, at first, so we think, come out of it uh, and then give them the info about where Lake Lauka is, what is mm-hmm. happening there, and the fact that Appa may be in Longfang's possession. So they go there and do that. Meanwhile, the whole stuff with Zuko and Iroh, you hate to see it because we're like rooting for Zuko readjusting to this normal life again right now they don't have they're not chasing ink they're just living they're just chilling as civilians and then we see appa's flyers come down and mm-hmm. where zuko gets snapped back yeah it, the same thing with like jet that key motivator that they've always clung to that key defining piece of their identity just rushes back and like he's hitting a drug he's got to go back on the chase um and this is the biggest time that Iroh really puts his foot down and is like, Zuko, you need to stop doing this. This is not good for you. Mm-hmm. We're doing something nice here, building a normal life. So, the blue spirit. I wonder who could be behind that mask. <sighs> what are you doing here? I was just about to ask you the same thing. What do you plan to do now that you have found the Avatar's bison? Keep it locked in our new apartment? Should I go put on a pot of tea for him? First I have to get it out of here. And then what? 
You never think these things through. This is exactly what happened when you captured the Avatar at the North Pole. You had him, and then you had nowhere to go. I would have figured something out. No! If his friends hadn't found you, you would have frozen to death. <clears throat> I know my own destiny, Uncle. Is it your own destiny? Or is it a destiny someone else has tried to force on you? Stop it, Uncle. I have to do this. I'm begging you, Prince Zuko. It's time for you to look inward and begin asking yourself the big questions. Who are you? And what do you want? Your destiny does not have to be capturing the avatar and reclaiming your honor and getting approval from your father. Like that doesn't have to be it. You can choose what you want your destiny to be. You can look inside yourself, find what actually makes you happy, gives you purpose. Don't let it be defined by these other things. Let it come from yourself. And Zuko yeah. struggles with that. We see him conflicted. But in this episode, he does make a little progress. He lets Appa go, and he lets the Blue Spirit Mask go. He puts that into the mm -hmm. lake. Um, and so we think, all right, here he is moving on from this endless pursuit of Aang and the Avatar. Maybe this is where he finally has chosen his destiny. Um, so we see a big step forward for Zuko. We enjoy that. And this also, this is the one episode, well, aside from the whole jet thing, but we do get some great moments in Appa's return. They finally get reunited. Or wait, or is that? that is no, this, is, this is episode, yeah, because yeah, they're yeah. cornered by everything and Momo flies into the sun and then he flies back with Appa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just talk about, I'm crying, dude. Like full, you are full on sobbing at this Full thing. send crying at Appa returning and Aang giving him hugs and him saying, I miss you, buddy. Just full send just yeah that one where he's clinging to him oh yeah that was beautiful great great ending we needed that mm -hmm. we needed something good to happen mm -hmm. i love the imagery of like lao guy how they set that up how it's also confined confined and very secretive and very blocked off and the one thing that i was talking about earlier that i wanted to mention with this episode is we don't talk a lot about animation right now while we're doing this because we want to focus on the characters and everything but there's something that they do is that is just so unique that you just don't see an animation ever is in, when they're walking by the like the judy training room where the judies are all saying oh, about, yeah. the same thing <laughs> and they do the shot of the judies where they animate it like it's being shot realistically with an extremely wide angle lens so that the edges of the frame are warped it gives it such a a disturbing look at these judies who are speaking in unison like it's just the creepiest thing you could imagine and it's so cool how they animate that it's such a good choice for them to make to really hammer home that tone that they're trying to set with the daily and their brainwashing and everything about that absolutely love it i love the whole process of getting jet like snapping jet out of it i love the whole thing where they make him remember about the fire nation and it's the rough rhinos that burn out his village like what a good tie back those guys are so cool <laughs> um i love the whole fight with Long Fang at the very end was Aang and Jet and Long Fang and Jet gets rocked. <laughs> Dude, real. real dark, real dark thing right there. It was, it's interesting because uh, obviously he does end up dying there, mm -hmm. but it, it being Nickelodeon, they couldn't necessarily yeah. showcase that that was the death. I feel like they could have done, I don't know, 
maybe it would have been too much, but I feel like that that particular rock blast, like the way that they set it up initially, like you know, it was mm -hmm. going to be an important thing. But afterwards, when you see it, and it's like this rock pillar that like went towards his head, but he's still currently yeah. conscious and whatnot. I was like, would that really? It could have packed I mean, a harder punch. Yeah, I wish they would have gone more into like showing like this was a devastating blow that probably not going to really come back from. But they yeah. do try to do away with the ambiguity and having him go like, oh, I'll be okay. And Toph goes, he was lying. So we do yeah. get an understanding that this was it for Jet, but he did achieve some redemption in the end. He was able to, after um, the trigger phrase by Long Thing, woke him up again, and now he's like fighting Aang. Aang was able to get him to snap out of it by invoking his identity as a freedom fighter. And so then Jet was able to attack Long Thing, but then got, as you said, rocked. So RIP to him. But it's an interesting because it was only what three or four episodes that he was in. Yeah. In total. Not a lot. Um, but a very strong arc from where he was in the beginning mm -hmm. uh to where he ended up being. So yeah, yeah another very powerful. Another great episode. Was this so how many times did you cry throughout the the season? Because there were what four four anytime something sad was happening with Abba, <laughs> i was it was just hitting me so hard for whatever reason but anyway we're on episode 18 the earth king what a crazy way to start this episode it's like 10 minutes of just one big fight scene as they're just struggling to get into the earth kingdom's chambers oh and it was so and awesome all the it stuff was amazing doing. yes everything that they do where uh they they go up the stairs but we're Toph like changes the stairs yes, into a slide and they work their way up is so cool. So the thing that Toph does where they're sh throwing rocks at them and she just like is like waving like rectangular prisms of earth just in the way as shields wax on wax off. Yeah, yeah, the wax on wax off is so cool. It's just like it's a good showcase that like not anybody can break into the Earth Kingdom. Not anybody can get into the Earth King's chambers. It definitely takes skill and it's definitely a hard thing to do. But it's also a good showcase to show like these people are incredibly powerful vendors and they're incredibly smart and they can do it. Like it is a challenge, but it's not that big of a challenge that he is the avatar and Katara and Toph are exceptionally strong vendors and Sokka is incredibly intelligent. So to see them get to that point is amazing. And then they finally get there and everything's like, if I can trust you, lay down your weapons and then they lay down their weapons and then they get arrested is <laughs> incredible. Just so anticlimactic, and then it just becomes a word battle, like a word debate between them and Long Fang, just trying to convince the Earth King who to pick, whose side to be on, who's correct and whatnot. And ultimately, having it end like it's crazy that they get rid of Lake Lao guy first off. Like, how do they even do that that quickly? That's amazing. Second off, I love that we circle all the way back to the drill. Like the drill is still there, and that's the way that they show the Earth King that the war is go going on. So like it does serve an ultimate, a bigger purpose than just Azula trying to break into the earth trying to break into bossing say, and then Azula comes back later at the end of the episode. We'll see, but it's great seeing long Fang get the short end of the stick. It's great seeing everybody working at peak efficiency because, because they're just so fed up with everything. They've got Appa back. They've got their flow back. They're ready to kick butt and take names they're ready to, to push forward and the end of the episode, how it sets up the last two episodes of the season are fantastic. They're all going their separate ways. Guitar is going to stay behind and plan the assault on the fire nation. 
Toph is going to go visit her mother. Sokka is going to go visit his father. And Aang's going to go see the guru. And then everything, like, it's the first time in the in the sh- in the season where we're going to get, like, a happy ending. And then, of course, you get the downer ending where it twists back. And Toph is actually getting kidnapped by the the two guys who are hunting her down, which we kind of figured anyway. Right. Like, there's no because we know that they're hunting her when when nobody else does, and so she gets kidnapped. She's stuck in metal. There's no way she can get out, and nobody's with her, so nobody knows where she is. And even more important, the Kyoshi Warriors have arrived, but it's Azula, Tylee, and May dressed up as the Kyoshi Warriors, which is a good callback to Appa's lost days. We now know Azula won that fight, which we kind of figured would happen, and she's now using this as a way to infiltrate Bossing Set. Yes, taking them down from the inside, just like the drill. Incredible. She learned from what they did and applied the same strategy. That's just so Mm. brilliant, man. It's so good. I also wanted to just bring up the Zuko and Iroh bit here, where after Zuko doing that good action has now physically become ill uh, and is going through a, quote, spiritual metamorphosis. For me personally, I thought that was a little much. Um, I thought... I don't know, just maybe have something else to induce this than just him literally being like, wow, you are you made a choice that went so deeply against your identity that now you're physically sick. That was a little much. But I do like the way that in these dreams that he has, we see two dragons coiled around him, one blue, one red. Blue mm-hmm. one being Azula, telling him to rest. Red one being Iroh, uh, telling him to persist, to not give in. Um, which obviously uh-huh. is going to come back around very shortly, but that's a nice little angel and devil on your shoulder showing yeah. how deeply he is still divided. Um, and then I believe in that one, like didn't Azula, like the blue dragon ended up winning on that, like that dream. Um, basically they both go away and then the earth underneath him crumbles and he falls into an abyss. Oh, you're right. right. Ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Very uh, ambiguous, but that's, I think the intention. Yeah, and then the other dream, which was truly frightening, was him going to the mirror and being <laughs> bald and tattooed. And he's the avatar. He goes, yeah. ah! <laughs> Like, that That did frighten me as well. I was like, whoa. That was like, I, I remember rewatching <laughs> it and knowing that was going to happen and thinking, like, I was trying to remember, like, what is it about him that's different? And I was like, oh, that's right. His scar is missing. And, like, that's the thing he sees and it scares him. And then he was the avatar. And I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I forgot. I thought it was just his scar was gone. But I guess I just remembered it wrong. Yeah. But, yeah, that whole, his whole dream sequence. Well, it was, great. his scar was gone when it was the co- the dragons around him. Yeah, he was that is Lord. true. Yes. Um, yeah. But anyway, so that was interesting. I like, again, what they were going for. But I just thought the, how they got around to it. Um, mm-hmm. Like the premise where it was a little, a little foolish, but going yeah. moving on to season two, episode 19, The Guru. I really love this. And the main reason, well, we get to see everyone do their own thing and dealing with the fallout that was about to happen. Um, but there's so many significant things that happen in this episode. And it's the first part of the season two finale. Um, they've since like combined it into two episodes. But we get so much character development and so much understanding of the magic system and the the lore behind mm-hmm. the avatar um particularly the avatar state uh and so just to i want to focus hone in on that one real quick with ang because it was essentially just therapy that ang was going through we get to see so much about who he is the journey that he's gone through to get to this point um and that's framed around these chakras 
and so the earth chakra, which was dealing with survival, which is blocked by fear. What fears does he have? Katara getting hurt and attacked. The blue spirit with Zuko, Sozin's comic coming, and him being uncontrollable in the avatar state. And Ozai, those are major fears that we have for him. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, the big obstacles and, of course, all these he's able to release. The water chakra, pleasure blocked by guilt. His guilt is fleeing the air temple, which is so sad because, again, he couldn't do anything. Um, he would have been killed along with the rest of them. But that's still weighing on him and uh, hurting Fong's guards in the Avatar state. Mm-hmm. And so he's advised to just accept that these things had happened and forgive yourself. Like You need to forgive yourself in order to have a positive influence, mm-hmm. which I thought, again, is like a beautiful lesson to be giving to kids in a kid's show. The fire chakra, willpower blocked by shame, is shame, burning Katara. This one comes back around from the previous season. Um, and then again, he has to understand that as an avatar, being a firebender is part of his identity. So he needs to accept that. Mm-hmm. The air chakra, love, blocked by grief, of course. Um, a big grief is the fact that all of his people, the air nomads, were killed in that genocide. Uh, and then again, another beautiful thing the guru gives to him is that the love they had for Aang didn't die when they did. Um, it stays with him, and it's been reborn in his love for Katara. That's beautiful. And he was, like, crying as he uh, revels in that realization. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so that was beautiful and very touching. The sound chakra, truth blocked by lies, so the lies that he has. Um, it just goes back to that initial one he gave when he lied to Katara and Sokka about not being the Avatar. But again, this is, like, this is your nature. This is who you are. He had to accept it, can't run away from it, um, which we see he definitely had done by this point. I kind of wish that for the sound chakra, when they were talking about lies, they connected back to the season one episode where he lies about the note from their father. Right. Because I feel like that was a more impactful lie in his development than his initial lie of not being the Avatar. And I feel like that would have been more like these things that happened, even the minor things, they're affecting him rather than something that's so minor that we forgot that he lied about being the Avatar. I know, it's like the first episode stuff and uh, by this point he had already accepted being the avatar like multiple times um so yeah you're right this was a weird choice as the lie um Mm -hmm. but you know still good message of accepting yourself and moving on the light chakra insight blocked by illusion so the illusion again this is where we connect to that um arrow's teachings and bitter work and the teaching of guy in the swamp episode um where everything is connected. The illusion is that things are separate um, and distinct, but in reality, everything here is connected. There are no divisions, uh, unlike how the world is living at the moment. So that was another key factor. uh, We're all just one people. Exactly. Glorious. Um, Like the four nations living apart, but really it's all just one people, right? Mm. Um, And then finally, the thought chakra, which is pure cosmic energy, blocked by earthly attachments. His earthly attachment is, of course, Katara. And he has to let her go in order to uh, free up that final chakra and be able to master at will the Avatar state. But he's unwilling to do so. He can't do it. And he was, like he pointed out, which is a funny moment, he was like three chakras ago, loving Katara was a good thing. Now you want me to give her up? So Mm. I like how they also talked about some of the complexity and confusion there in on doing this sort of work but he ultimately resists because he in his vision he sees 
Katara in danger. Interestingly, the whole point is him having to let her go. And in the vision is her chained up and she's saying, let me go. Mm-hmm. Which I think was an interesting way they included that. Because I don't think there was ever a moment where that happened in the show. Like we didn't see the real version of that. Yeah, no. Um, but he decides he's not going to do it. He's not going to let her go. He needs to go save her. And this is interesting because the guru is like, you will not be able to enter the after state at all if you don't complete this process. Mm-hmm. So he will be significantly weakened. And we know what's waiting for him back at Bossing Se. Um, yet he leaves to go save Katara. And so I just love this, like the character development we get with Aang, having it be a sort of retrospective on all the things that he's done and gone through um, and the changes mm-hmm. he's had up to this point is beautiful. And again, it's woven in perfectly with the world and the magic system and an objective of trying to master the Avatar state, which calling back to episode one, I mean, I was the purpose of that. How do we have it happen at will? He has these nightmares about being uncontrollable in it. This was a, a fear that he's had for the longest time. And so seeing now in this penultimate episode where he's in the process of mastering it, but he's unable to do so by choice because he has a greater care and love for Katara mm-hmm. um, at that particular moment. It's just a great way to dissect yeah. these different sides of Aang and really get to the root of who he is. I love that argument that he makes. That's like, how can he be the protector of this world? How can he, he can be like the avatar who's protecting the spiritual and the actual world itself. If he has no earthly attachments to it. Like he is just a human, you know, and it's a similar argument this is a weird connection to make, but it's a similar thing that they do in the prequel trilogy of star Wars with, with Anakin <laughs> and opposing the council is like that whole balance of like, you have to be separate from everything, but also how are you supposed to be your protector of anything? If you're so separate, like you are just human and Ang particularly is just a child. Like how can you put, this is like to get to this point takes decades of meditation and thought and just sheer will of like bringing yourself to that point and just experience of life and to expect him to get there immediately is just not something he can do, especially as a child who has such a, an affection for Katara. So I like that he chooses Katara. I like that it sets up that extra challenge for him to get through. And I like that he makes that choice because I think it's the right choice for him to make. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then to circle back around to the other characters before we get to one of the big, big moments of this episode, um, Zuko and Iroh, we see them just living happy, pleasant lives as people running a tea shop, the Jasmine Dragon. It's lovely to see Zuko has come out of his spiritual metamorphosis. He's doing great. You love to see it. It won't last. Very sad. Uh, Sokka, he's nervous about meeting his father right when he's there with Aang before he's dropped off. He talks about how he's sort of sick to his stomach. He's very nervous about it. He wants to make his father proud. And we see him walk up and get accepted by all the warriors that are out there and then he goes into the tent where his father Hakoda is um and then we see that beautiful embrace that they give that's just a lovely moment seeing Sokka's relationship with his father and how mm-hmm. it is I mean they're warriors and of course there's that masculinity element to it um mm-hmm. which you would expect maybe Hakoda to be very tough on Sokka um to not be as open with the affection that he shows him, which we see obviously with Ozai and Zuko, but it's so lovely to see a good relationship that one of these characters has with their fathers. 
Um, so that's just beautiful to see. And I like how later on in that episode with Hakoda, we see him talking about an invention he had, the sink and stink. So not only does Sokka get his humor from his father, but his strategic thinking as well. So that was a nice little character moment. As well as when the Fire Nation is coming up towards Chameleon Bay where they are guarding, Hakoda orders Bato, by the way, we see Bato back, um, to go prepare the Sink and Sting stuff, and then all the other men to get ready for battle. Sokka stays behind, looks around, uh, lost for what to do. And then he's like, Dad, what should I do? Hakoda's like, I already told you. I said the rest of the men get ready for battle. And so we finally see Sokka validated as this warrior that he's wanted to be since season yeah. one, episode one. Mm. So that, I think, is another beautiful uh, character moment that we see here with Azula and company, the way that they're like they're planning, and we see more of her cunning, intentionally revealing that Fire Nation people are in the city to the Dai Li so that it'll grab Longping's attention, and him being an opportunist, he'll... Uh, try to find a way to leverage this in order to get out and reclaim control. Um, and so the way that Azula is able to mastermind that is beautiful. She also learns about the solar eclipse attack because the Earth mm. King can't keep his mouth shut. Can't do it. <laughs> like right off the bat, my man spoils. He just learned about the war and then he just messed up the war. <laughs> so Way to go, Earth King. <laughs> very upsetting. And Katara, she, her situation wasn't comparatively not too intense she was just there with the war generals as they're planning um and then she discovers zuko and iroh which was a great little thing like the moment she was like oh you want to stop for tea momo i was like oh boy Mm -hmm. she's gonna see it and then get all the wrong ideas and she did and goes to the kiyoshi warriors or who we thought were the or who she thought were the kiyoshi warriors uh and then gets captured and she also spoils the fact that zuko's in the city (laughs) that's true yeah (laughs) yeah that was a whole nother element she's like guys guys zuko's here they're planning she she probably thought they were part he was part of the conspiracy um turns out she was talking right to him in the makeup um and then that brings us to toff dylan do you want to mention the amazingness that happens with toff the whole back and forth thing where the guru is talking about how everything is connected and then he just drops the thing of where metal is just refined earth. And in that moment, Toph just like bangs her foot and like senses the metal and she can see the bits of earth within it because it's just refined earth. And she's like, I can do this and just bends the metal. And and then she traps him inside. And she's like, I'm the best earthbender ever. <laughs> and then she does the coolest thing ever, which is where she runs with on the earth you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, for oh sure. it's the coolest thing that I've ever seen. Where she's just like pushing herself so hard to make herself run using the earth to propel her forwards is so cool. And then that actually leads into the next episode because that's how Aang and Sokka find her is running through like that. <laughs> episode 20, Crossroads of Destiny, the season two finale. It aired December 1st, 2006. Now, everything has been set up. Everything from the season has been set up for this moment. We have... Uh, we have Katara is captured. Zuko and Iroh are on their way to be captured. And Katara or Sokka, Toph, and Aang are on their way to stop Azula and to try and save the day. But of course, as the theme in this season goes with downer endings, we get one of the downest of endings. <laughs> and we'll get there. So 
one of the best scenes is is uh, who am I kidding? All the scenes are great, but I know this is a, this an is amazing finale all the way through. A, a pull like they pull no punches here, but when when Zuko and Iroh show up to do the tea tasting for the king, and they're just waiting for a really long time, and then Azula shows up, and they get surrounded by the Dai Li. I mean, it's just this intense stare off for like a good second. And Iroh has that great line where he's like, do you know why they call me the Dragon of the West? <laughs> and then he just breathes fire on all of them. And it's so cool. It's so wickedly cool. And then he runs off and he tries to persuade Zuko to come with him. But Zuko's so persistent in trying to beat Azula that he won't go. And of course, that's what he ultimately gets captured through is because of that. And so Iroh has to go out and find Aang. And he goes and gets him. I love the thing where he knocks on the door and Toph's like, it's okay, it's a friend. And she opens the door and it's Iroh. And, and they're, they're all both, shook. They're freaking out. <laughs> and and Toph is like, hey. Oh, I love that. I love that she calls him a friend. It just makes me so happy. I know, that's so sweet. Because the effect they had just on that one day of mm-hmm. having tea. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that showed, because previously, I mean, in her life, she didn't have very many friends. Uh, and then seeing someone so genuinely caring who was just a stranger. And then having the impact that he had on her life. Yeah, it's beautiful that uh, she didn't see him as a villain. Because it's also interesting, Zuko, I don't think ever came across Toph other than that one moment in the chase, right? Because Zuko's storyline this season was so far apart. So she never really knew Zuko as like this villain. And then in the same day, never mm-hmm. saw Iroh as this villain. So yeah, I love the way that they brought that around. Um, that connection and then of course we see now them teaming up in order to find out where the people are being held and it's in an underground city like the original bossing say yeah um, deep underground which is something that they just drop and then don't elaborate on but yeah. it's fine i guess i mean it's something that is feasible i mean you would imagine yeah. after all this time that changes like that could happen but the crystal just, catacombs that is a cool beautiful building element that yeah. is so amazing um, the visual appeal that it brings. And we see this is, again, such a big moment. Zuko and Katara, when they're down there in the in the prison cell, um, in those caves, and she's just going at him. She's ripping him a new one, telling Zuko, you're terrible, you're awful, you're the face of the enemy. Hatred and war is in your blood. That's all you can do. That's all you can spread. Mm-hmm. Destroying him and being like, do you know what the Fire Nation did to me? they took my mother away and then zuko you see him like he was taking all this for the longest time but then he goes ditto (laughs) he turns back and he's like that's something we share in common and you see finally zuko taking a step to be vulnerable open up finally mention his mother we've never seen that before and then she katara of course being that caring person that she is she responds to that yeah she's able to empathize very clearly with zuko and be like okay maybe there's more to this person than just being the enemy. Um, and then, which is probably one of the biggest gestures ever, is she's talking with him about the scar and offers to use the Spirit Oasis water in order to heal the scar, which mm-hmm. partially is included to remind the audience of, hey, here's this this key thing right here, this world-building uh, device. This but is true, yes. it's also a nice character moment because she was that caring for Zuko, who again, all the previous times before this, they've just been battle. I mean, remember season one finale. They were fighting over yeah. Aang when he was in that uh, meditation state. Mm-hmm. So it was a beautiful way to show the development of these two characters here. And again, it makes us as a viewer think, okay, Zuko 
is opening up with Katara. He's not seeing her as a villain. This is maybe good. He's progressing. He's not going to go back to his old ways. And then Iroh and Aang show up in the cave. And what happens there, Dylan? Bro. First off, I love Iroh and Aang, the whole conversation they have when they're descending into that area. Like, they're just chatting and having a philosophical debate about being the Avatar and what that entails, things like that. And then they finally get there, and Aang's ready to, he's got fists ablaze, and he's ready to fight, even though he's been hanging out with Iroh this whole time. And then they just sort of pair off and split away from each other. Aang and Katara <laughs> go their way, and Iroh and Zuko go their own way. And, of course, Aang and Katara are trying to stop Azula, and Iroh is just trying to get Zuko out of there. And we get that big showdown where it's everybody versus everybody. You know, everybody's got fists up. Everybody's ready to fight. Each ready to get going. It's super. And then, I mean, of course, at the same time, you have Toph and Sokka going to get the Earth Kings and his bear. <laughs> yeah. Because the bear. Oh, yeah. They show up and then they're like, just take the stupid bear. Yeah, that was funny. That was funny. But anyway, back to the showdown in the Crystal Catacombs. You have this big thing where it's Katara and Aang fighting Azula and then Zuko shows up. Right, but before that, before that, right, Azula showed up to when it was, with the Daili, showed up to the catacombs when it was Zuko and Iroh, and they see that Katara's not there. And so she's like, oh, I would expect Iroh to be a traitor, but not you, Zuko. You're right, you're um, right. And Zuko's like, hey, let Iroh go. And then this is where we see Azula once again unleash her ultimate weapon, her manipulation. And she's mentioning how this is the greatest, most glorious day in Fire Nation history. Where they're finally going to claim the impenetrable city. They're going to take the Earth Kingdom mm-hmm. after the century of trying to do it and failing. And how Zuko can on this day, if she just joins with her, because she's planned it all out, she knows the only way that it'll be successful is if he joins with her. Mm-hmm. And then he'll be able to get his honor back and get his father's love, the things he's always wanted. And mm-hmm. uh, Zuko's listening to this and of course that's ringing bells in his mind that's attractive to him and Iroh is seeing this and is like please do not do this think about how the redemption she's offering is like not the kind that you want that's not true redemption um that is just a return to worse ways that's a regression Mm -hmm. and he's really really trying to get Zuko to look inside himself see what he truly wants not what these other people are forcing upon him and Mm -hmm. it cuts away it cuts away as Zuko's conflicted and had that interesting shot. Again, we don't go too much into like cinematography or animation choice or anything, but when it cuts from one side of his face to the other side of his face with the scar, um, mm-hmm. like the duality that he's having here, the very real conflict, the internal debate, and then the right one side of his shoulder, the other side of his shoulder, the mm-hmm. two dragons that are um, waging war around him, trying to convince mm-hmm. them to go their way. It's just really good. It's really solid writing animation and cinematography really good framing yeah yeah um and so we cut away there and so we don't know what he's gonna do but azula is pursuing ang and katara Mm -hmm. um and then take it away from where you were about to go and so there you have those three people just battling each other and it seems like azula's gonna win and i love the thing that she says earlier when she's with iron zuko where she says uh i've plotted this whole day and there's no way we can win unless you're on my side like what a great thing to say to manipulate Zuko into helping her where you're like where you're basically saying Zuko you are the key to winning over the Earth Kingdom you need to be on our side to do it like that's such a a great manipulation tactic to get him on your side because all he wants to be is the key to something he wants to be important for something and she's making him feel important and I was trying to get him to see that he's important without 
anything to do with the Fire Nation, that he has his own importance within himself. But of course, Zuko shows up. There's this big pause where he's debating on who to fight for, who to fight with. He doesn't know what to do. And then, boom, he shoots the fireball at Aang, finally making his decision. And then, boom, that's where the commercial break would, would be if we were watching this on TV. But, of course, you have Netflix, so it cuts right back. And so it's just this big uh, four-way fight between Aang, Katara, and Zuko and Azula. And they're just all fighting each other. And then the Dai Li show up. Like, it gets way out of hand super quickly. The Dai Li show up. And then Iroh shows up after. Like, it, it just goes crazy. The animation is super awesome. Oh, for sure. One thing Everything I wanted to... Everything is incredible. Yeah, one thing I wanted to throw out there was a lot of the fighting techniques and, like, bending techniques that we've seen all throughout the season all come back in this fight scene at the end here. We got that water octopus. We have when Toph created the rock suit in the episode Bit of Work when she was trying to teach Aang. Uh, we see that with Aang putting on the crystal armor suit like bending that around his body as a protection Katara did a thing where she threw like a little blade like a thin blade of water at Aang also during that bit of work and he like stopped it that comes back as well and she shoots it at Azula and it cuts off a little bit of her hair we also see I mean in this battle it's interesting Azula does get the upper hand on Katara or other way around Katara gets the upper hand on Azula and it's only broken up by Zuko because mm. she had her like by one arm and one leg. Um, so Katara had the upper hand in that battle, but yeah. Zuko was able to come in and break it up. But as for the other techniques we saw, of course, Aang, what he did with the drill, like coming down on the rock slab, does the same sort of thing here, like the same motion where he cuts it off the top, it's falling down, and then he thrusts down onto it as it's coming down. Mm. And then, of course, we see lightning generation here and so what's also beautiful about this is it's great action incorporating all these elements we've seen before um, we know the magic system so we know the limitations we know what people can do so that makes it interesting when they're employing these things that we would expect them to use um, and again it's drawing on experience that they should reasonably have from these prior seasons so seeing those techniques that uh, have been popping up here and there we also get those character moments where upon seeing the Dai Li show up in the catacombs. Aang realizes that he and Katara are outmatched. He needs more power, more strength in order to combat this. He mm. needs the Avatar state. And yep. so he creates a little shell with the crystals and he does his meditation and he goes to release that final chakra by letting go of Katara. Mm. And he does it. He succeeds. He starts ascending out of the uh, crystals with his uh, eyes and his arrows glowing, illuminated as it usually is. And everyone, as they usually do, is watching with awe. And then as the triumphant music is coming, it's about to be the end of the episode. This is the right place for him to win. Same thing with season one in the beginning, right? Where him going into the Avatar state is how we were able to push back mm -hmm. against the Fire Nation and win the Siege of the North. Feels like the same thing's about to happen here. But what do they do? This little kid show does one of the most subversive things ever. And we see a man get electrocuted, lightning flashing all around him, mm -hmm. starts falling out of the sky. We see Azula with her fingers pointed out in the lightning bending stance. Mm -hmm. She just sniped that man with lightning. She and, wins. And we know that it's deadly based on what Iroh was telling Zuko in that bit yeah. of work episode. We know that if it's not redirected, it can straight up kill you. 
we know it went straight through him because his shoe popped off. Um, like it went, entered into his body and then went towards the ground. So he straight up just got killed. I mean, they don't like mm. confirm that in the show or anything, but I mean, it heavily implied that my man was on the verge of being completely done. Certainly mm. for our purposes was dead out and gone. And he was in the avatar state, which means in that beautiful image of them in like the cosmic realm, yeah. um, with the like line going past him and that evaporating the, um, spirit version of him falling out of the sky. And then we see the real mm-hmm. version of him falling in the sky. That would have been it. The avatar cycle would have been broken. It would have yes. been finito, but finito. Katara. So much. Iro shows up. Well, yeah. Katara starts running it. to yeah. save Aang from falling out there, but then she's just holding him. She's distraught. I mean, she can't fight off everyone else without Aang, let alone holding him and being distraught about what just happened. And mm-hmm. so it's Iro, as you mentioned, that shows up and protects Katara and Aang, gives them the opportunity to flee. And it's another scenario. Same thing with the season one finale where he chooses to save essentially the world, like work for those interests, right? The spirit world and the regular world, rather than letting the fire nation get this massive victory, which would be the avatar being dead and being dead for good. So he goes against his nation once again, um, to do what's right, to do what's right for the world and just right in general. Um, and so that is a beautiful moment. We also get to see, the absolute disappointment he has in Zuko, where he can't even face him. He just turns away from Zuko, mm-hmm. um, which was really powerful. In that moment, like I did not, in the initial rewatch that I was doing, I did not remember that this isn't where Zuko turns to the good side. Because mm-hmm. I just remember a lot of, again, like the back half of season three. Yeah. Um, like that has for a reason stuck more in my mind. And I was looking up recently, I think they released... I have to like confirm this, but apparently according to the Google thing, they released in like one week, like they just dropped every day. They just had a new Avatar episode Mm -hmm. and I was trying to go back and see if like how to confirm that, but that would make sense then if it all came in fell swoop um, in like 2008, because that definitely would have been paying attention. So that makes sense why that's so intensely burned in my brain compared to um, the first half of season three. But this shocked me. Because I was like, yeah, this is where it happens. This is where he makes the turn. But then he didn't, which is so subversive. What the whole season was building up to this man finally overcoming that key desire, that key need to be approved by his father and to come home with honor. And yet he's unable mm-hmm. to do it. It's like a drug addict, essentially. I mean, it all just rushes back. He relapses here because it was just too tempting. Even though he had gotten better, he had made so much progress. He's still back to that initial place where when Azula first came, I was like, hey, come back home. Father's going to be fine with you. That episode one of this season, he was ready to do it and leave behind Iroh. Here, Mm -hmm. same deal. After so much progress was made, he betrays Iroh in order to try and accomplish that goal of getting Father's approval, being able to come home, um, an honorable man, an honorable Fire Nation warrior. So just great writing like that seasonal arc is crazy having it like this step backwards this setback in his very obvious arc towards redemption was beautiful because it would have worked well i mean had that happen here but it gives it so much dimension so much flavor to have it be such a dramatic setback 
because everything was pointing to, okay, this is going to be the one where he turns to the good side. And the fact that they were able to have the audience believe that so passionately and then subvert that so beautifully, but it still makes so much sense. But you still see he's torn up about it. And mm-hmm. Azula at the end is trying to convince him, no, yeah. no, no, Iroh betrayed you. But he's yeah. like, I, I don't know. He, he has changed, see, certainly. Yeah, we see that he's one. not entirely happy about this. Like, he knows this was sort of disgusting behavior that occurred here. Um, and so we know that there is potential for change, but it definitely left us on a sour note for his character. Um, mm-hmm. And for the season as a whole, the downer ending um, for the season. The Earth really Kingdom stuff. has fallen. The Indeed. final line of the season spoken by the Earth King. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. The Earth Kingdom is done for, which is such a sad way to end season two is this, this whole thing about the Earth bending element, like everything about Earth. And you have this whole Earth Kingdom. We're spending the entire season in the Earth Kingdom and it's gone. It's controlled by the Fire Nation now. Right. The, Earth, the Fire Nation has won. And so you have leading to season three. They are in. They're pushed into a corner. They're scrappy. They're the underdog. You know, everything is is stacked up against them, and so they have, uh, but simultaneously nothing and everything to lose. You know, so it's like it's just such a good way to set up that last season. Truly, masterclass of a show. A great season of a season of television. Incredible. I. Can think I can confidently say that this is my favorite season of Avatar, but I will rewatch the third season in these next two weeks. And when we do our part three, I will definitively have my answer as to what my favorite season is because yeah. it's not season one, it's either season two or three. Yeah, I feel like, and again, season one is so good, but these yeah. just are so incredible. It's hard for yeah. season one to compare. Did you, when you were checking that, did you find out the answer to the season three thing? Yes, it did. so what happened was the first half of season three, all the way up to the day of the Black Sun, was just normal television programming at from September to November of 2007. Sure. And then all the way until July of 2008 is when the second half of that season came out. So essentially just another season was July 14th, July 15th, July 16th, July 17th. Right, yeah. July 18th, July 19th. All back to back to back to back. So that's which what I'm saying, which is insane, insane that they did that. They literally yeah. had an Avatar week. But that makes a lot more sense why that sticks in my head more than like the week to week thing. I was older in mm-hmm. 08 and then having it be like a week, especially in the summer. I'm very confident that I was like sitting there watching each of those episodes. I can't believe they did those back to back day after day. That's just hilarious. And then the final episode is an hour and a half long was yeah a big four-parter so i mean you had to be true avatar fans to be around for that but that's kind of cool in that they also had one of the days was the boiling rock which was a good 47 minutes long too i know yeah just a half hour all right well that is all the time we have thank you for sitting with us for such a long time here listening to us talk about avatar we thank you for your time thank you for your listening please listen on 1.8 speed there's no reason not to i don't know why all podcasts aren't already programmed just to 1.8. listen as as quickly as you possibly can to get through it quicker because this is just dreadfully long already so that's all the time we have if you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week you can email us at the box office show at gmail.com our main title theme for the show is sundown by joseph mcdade be sure to tune in next week for our box office breakdown and review of shang chi 
We are very excited to watch it. We are very excited to see how it turns out. And I'm very excited for it to give me a huge bump up on my already blossoming box office draft. Indeed. And once again, we want to say thank you to our guest, Nick Lyon. We're glad that he was able to join us for a third of this episode. Um, But yeah, we definitely appreciate his time. And the third and final part of our Avatar series will air in two weeks. Have a great rest of your day.